Hi everyone, this is Dr. Michael Wald, and today's show, very exciting, is entitled, Do You Have a Filthy Mouth? <laughs> well, do you have a filthy mouth and the connection between the oral cavity and decay in the mouth and all diseases? Now, most of you have heard that there is some connection between the bacteria in the mouth, for example, and the possibility of that bacteria making its way into the bloodstream, causing heart problems, particularly in people that might have heart valve issues. You know, for decades, the American Dental Association has recommended prophylactic antibiotic use in everyone with, for example, a mitral valve prolapse, which is considered an essentially benign cardiovascular condition. But recent evidence, which is probably somewhere around five years old, but don't quote me on that, has completely thrown that concept out, meaning the prophylactic treatments by dentists with antibiotics has been shown to increase antibiotic resistance in those people, which is an enormous public health crisis throughout the world, actually and did no statistical, produce no statistical advantage for reduction of endocarditis, which is a heart infection, in those people treated with antibiotics. Now, once again, today's show topic is filthy mouth. We're going to talk about the bacteria, the protozoa, the viruses, and how they do, in fact, make their way from your mouth into the body and can directly cause or promote inflammation and disease. So for those of you who are new to the show, my name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. This is yet another show topic that you people wanted to hear, and I think it's an excellent one, because you're not going to hear about the connection between the oral cavity and disease from most dentists. Even holistic dentists uh, may just have a trivial notion about this, but a trivial notion will not help you get well, will not help you avoid preventable diseases that start in your mouth. And my experience has shown that even the most holistically minded dentists, with few exceptions, no doubt, simply do not have the training in nutrition and health of the rest of the body to adequately manage the problems that can be triggered from bacteria and other types of infections in the mouth. So it's one thing to acknowledge a problem or potential problem, such as the mouth can cause systemic disease, and yet another to have the skills both clinically uh, and practically to make recommendations to people to treat these problems. So I'll also speak about 
my top 13 or so herbal picks based on an extensive search of the medical and nutrition literature that I've performed over the course of the last couple of decades or so, uh, producing a mouthwash that helps to kill many of these organisms in the mouth without promoting antibiotic resistance and viral resistance, reducing inflammation in the mouth, oxidative stress in the mouth, and very importantly, repairing the connective tissue structures in the mouth because the mouth can become leaky, just like your intestinal tract. Now, some of you have heard of the condition leaky gut syndrome. And for those of you who have not, no worries. Here it is in a nutshell. Basically, the small intestine can become leaky. It starts to break down and degenerate due to aging, abnormal aging, uh, which can then result in the overgrowth of abnormal bacteria and even fungal uh, organisms in the small intestine, which further promote the breakdown of the wall of the small intestine. And when that wall breaks down, the bacteria and other organisms and toxins that are normally present in the small intestine make their way through the leaky walls, through the, what they call the, uh, well, the intestinal cells into the bloodstream. And that can cause bacteremia or bacterial infection and all kinds of toxic conditions and everything in between. Now, the oral cavity also becomes leaky. Can you name at least two obvious daily, daily practices that you might have? I hope you have. Um, well, at least you might have been doing for decades that do promote the induction or, or the, the translocation of bacteria and other organisms in the mouth into the blood. They are brushing your teeth and they are flossing. So even I, a moment ago, caught myself making a mistake. I said to you that I hope you do every day. I was on automatic in terms of being taught myself decades ago that you brush your teeth and you floss your teeth. I am not saying that you should not brush your teeth and floss your teeth. But I am saying that we need to adjust our daily practices in some special ways that are easy to do that will help reduce drastically the amount of organisms that will go from your mouth through that leaky mouth of yours into your bloodstream and find their way to different organisms, uh, different organs. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. So I'm happy to take you on this little journey through the oral cavity and then to the rest of the body. You know, when I think about the, the ways in which the body works and in particular how problems in the mouth, which can arise in the mouth initially, or problems in the rest of the body can cause oral problems. And very commonly, it, it may, you may not be able to distinguish whether the problem started in the mouth or it started in the body or a combination. And uh, it does matter because if you have an obvious infection in the mouth, it, it needs to be treated. But that infection in the mouth may have been caused by, let's say, a malabsorption disease you don't know you have or a toxic 
problem that you have or a metabolic condition such as uh, diabetes. And those problems in the body can and often do cause dental problems. And I say that with quotations. We call them dental problems because they're in the mouth. I would even venture to say that most problems in the mouth probably do not arise initially in the mouth, but do in fact come from other areas of the body. So I think of this journey we're about to take. As, uh, you know, remember that old movie journey uh, to the center of the earth? You know, I, I imagine we're going to take a little, a little ship in the mouth and we're going to see what goes on in the rest of the body and try to think of natural strategies that do much more help than harm. And respectfully to most dentists, they are generally unaware of these connections. They're probably aware of the more common uh, problem that can result from infection in the mouth, and that is endocarditis, which we'll talk about uh, throughout the course of today, which basically is inflammation of the linings around the heart. Regular physicians are certainly aware of many systemic diseases and vaguely aware of some oral conditions, but once again, may not be aware and almost never check the mouth, which is unfortunate because sometimes the quickest glance in the mouth can reveal systemic disease in seconds. So, for example... If you look in the mirror, stick your tongue out, it might be a bit red. And that it could be red because you have an oral candida infection. Or your tongue might be coated with a white film, which also could be candida. And a red tongue and or candida that you can identify that way in a mirror is commonly associated with iron anemia, Iron deficiency, which obviously is a systemic problem. So we've just given an example of a couple of conditions that can show up in the mouth that are connected to systemic problems. And unless you acknowledge both, it's not very easy to, uh, to heal these issues. Uh, gingivitis, inflammation of the, of the gingival tissues in the mouth, has been long known to be connected to heart disease. We also know that bacteria and other infectious organisms in the mouth can trigger immune responses and cause different types of cancer. Colorectal cancer, for example, has been linked to bacterial overgrowth in the mouth that makes its way into the circulation. You know, and the way in which the body triggers different diseases is very complex, as you might imagine. Because we have these organisms in the mouth, they make their way into the body. We have, you know, three major arms of the, the immune systems, the cell-mediated immune system. We have the humoral immune system and the complement immune systems. And these systems have to perform their balancing act to deal with these bugs. And depending on the effectiveness of our immune systems... A variety of effects can happen. If the immune system does not adequately detect and manage, let's say, a certain virus, that virus may make its way, like Epstein-Barr virus, into the brain, can cause demyelination or breakdown of the outer covering of the brain, 
affecting how nerve impulses move along the brain and the rest of the nervous system. And that could look like multiple sclerosis. That could look like uh, non-multiple sclerosis placking, which we might see in migraines or post-Lyme disease patients and those with active neuro-Lyme disease or neuroborreliosis. Almost any condition known to man and woman can result, in my opinion, from problems in the mouth. There's atrophic gastritis, which is a shrinking of the stomach lining. That has been associated with a bacteremia or bacteria in the mouth making its way into the blood. And if you have a shrinking stomach lining, you will not make adequate stomach acid. So this is very significant because if you don't have enough stomach acid, that means you have either hypochlorhydra, which is a fancy term for low stomach acid, or achlorhydra, which means no stomach acid, and you therefore do not absorb particularly well. You will not absorb and activate your calcium well. You will not uh, absorb and activate your iron. So all sorts of deficiencies are seen in atrophic gastritis. But again, if we don't have enough stomach acid, and this is important, folks, what happens is that a lot of the bacteria and other organisms in your mouth that you swallow go into your stomach. If the stomach acid is not there to break down these organisms, then that is another gateway that those organisms have into the rest of your body. And by the time you have low stomach acid, which is a very common problem, you know, I'm talking about atrophic gastritis, which is probably the most recognized form of lack of stomach acid by gastroenterologists, but many individuals have low stomach acid, but do not yet have atrophic gastritis, or they may never get it. They just have something less than that, which causes malabsorption and will not allow a person to break down those bugs in the stomach. Systemic candida infections are associated with blood sugar problems, for example, and other immunodeficiency diseases or diseases. A person doesn't know they're sick. They say to me all the time, Dr. Wald, well, I never get sick. And I say, well, if you had a stronger immune system to show some symptoms, you might. The absence of symptoms has nothing to do with health, except that some healthy people don't have symptoms. But lots of healthy people, or lots of sick people, I should say, also do not have symptoms. Like an HIV patient, for example, might be feeling fine. An AIDS patient might be feeling fine until they don't. And their immune system and their T helper cells are so low that the body compensates, compensates, the person seems to be doing okay, then suddenly they're dead. So what happens in that case is that deficient immune system, there's a term for it in immunology. They call it atopy. So atopy basically is a condition where the immune system is so low it doesn't produce symptoms. So systemic candida infection can result from diabetes or someone with even pre-diabetes or any blood sugar issue. And we have candida overgrowth in the mouth. We have breakdown of the bone in the mouth, the tissues in the mouth. These are oral manifestations of metabolic systemic disease. I saw a patient some time ago where they had pseudomembranous candida, where you can see these biofilms in their mouth. I immediately knew that this person was most likely diabetic. Uh, I also suspected some other immune problems due to other symptoms. We put it all together and the person had uh, HIV, was unaware of it. 
just the color of the mucosa in the mouth. For example, the, the simplest change in the mouth that might indicate a problem that will affect every single cell and tissue of the body is a pale oral mucosa. So when you open your mouth and you look up towards the ceiling, and when a practitioner looks at the tissue on the top of the mouth, for example, it can look very pale. And that may be due to iron anemia. And iron anemia is a deficiency of iron, which will affect the ability of red blood cells to carry oxygen. And therefore, organs can be oxygen starved, which can lead to just generalized malaise or fatigue, but can impact even one's cardiovascular health and increase risk of abnormal heart rhythms and heart disease and heart stress because the cardiovascular system has to overwork to make up for iron anemia, which is considered a simple thing, but it, it is a very important problem to fix. Not all iron anemia, everyone, is caused by iron deficiency. Okay, and, and even when iron anemia manifests as iron deficiency, one must say or ask, what is the cause of that iron deficiency? Is it bleeding from colon cancer? Is it internal or external hemorrhoids? You know, there's so many causes for that. And then there is burning mouth syndrome and just dental caries, uh, recurrent mouth ulcers. Now, a lot of you come to me and you have all sorts of ulcers that form usually during stress. You are aware that these are in the herpes virus family. They're called cold sores and they may show up on your lips, just outside your lips, inside your mouth. And when they happen and you can see them, they're also occurring throughout your entire digestive tract. And that's due to an activation of one or more viruses. And yes, your immune system has been stressed. And you'll see these lesions in the mouth and you might put some cream on them. Maybe you'll take lysine, some of you, which doesn't work. My point is that we have a systemic condition of low immunity, which can cause many diseases and problems, which show up as seemingly fairly innocuous herpetic lesions in the mouth, which, yes, are annoying and, and often painful. But people don't take the opportunity often to say, oh, well, why is my body doing this? It's, it's not okay. And then your doctor says to you, well, no, that's a common thing. And you can use, you know, Ambisol right on that and it'll, you know, numb it up a bit. And there's no, there's no effort made there to improve the immune system. So the causes of oral problems that arise in the mouth often are due to systemic problems. Not always, but often are. So, I mean, even things like working too hard and, and having fatigue has been shown to, to cause gingival inflammation and bone loss in the mouth, which is a serious gum infection that damages the soft tissues and destroys bones and is the leading cause of tooth loss. That can be caused by fatigue, everybody. When's the last time your dentist talked to you about fatigue? So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go through a couple of interesting articles that are in the scientific 
uh, and nutrition literature and the dental literature in particular. So when I talk to you about these things, I want you to know these are not necessarily my original ideas. These are real things that are studied and known, and uh, you need to know them because if you think of your mouth as a Petri dish, remember a Petri dish, you know, they're using science class, and there is some growth material in there, like agar, for example, and the, your science teacher may have put some bacteria in there so you can see it grow and the colonies form. Well, your mouth is a Petri dish. Which is why when I was putting together my herbal concoction uh, to be used as an oral rinse, I needed to make sure that those herbs had the ability to kill on contact a variety of viruses, fungal, protozoa, and bacteria. If they kill them in a Petri dish, then these herbs will also kill these organisms in the mouth. Now, the reason I am distinguishing this for you is because so many studies are really, let's say, done on rats or mice or in test tubes or in Petri dishes. And that information is applied to people. But by the time you eat herbs and do certain things, they may not act the same way they do in any of those other experimental situations. So what is different about the oral cavity is we need the herbs to go no further than the mouth. They just need to make contact. So it is very exciting that we have proof that these herbs I'm going to mention can have so many beneficial effects on contact to the mouth. For those of you just joining us, you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Today, we're talking about a very important concept which could could have the potential to add years of quality life to your life and help offset the early onset of diseases like one of the number one killers or killers, heart disease, cancer, diabetes in your life by following some simple rules using some natural products. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. I am the supervisor of nutritional services at Integrated Nutrition of Mount Kisco, located about an hour north of New York City. For those of you who want to reach me with show ideas, questions, and other concerns, my number is 914-552-1442. 914-552-1442. Email me your show ideas to info at blooddetective.com. So is there any truth that Bacteremia, in other words, bacteria in the blood can be caused by dental flossing? Well, if you ask most dentists, they'll say no. But there was a study uh, that looked at bacteremia following flossing in people that had chronic uh, periodontitis, in other words, periodontitis and periodontal health. And then they looked to identify the organisms that were detected. And what was so amazing is they took baseline blood samples. They took blood samples and they found the bacteria. So they know that flossing pushes these bacteria into the blood. This was a small study. They used 30 individuals. But 40% of these people had bacteremia following flossing. 
among the bacteria that was discovered was a form of streptococci bacteria, which is commonly implicated in infective endocarditis. And they, they isolated that in about 19% of the subjects. And what was so fascinating was that 20% of the subjects in this study, folks, had detectable bacteremia at 10 minutes after flossing. 10 minutes! This takes no time. The You could change your health in an adverse way within 10 minutes of innocently flossing your teeth in the morning. This study did mention that, and I'm quoting them, that no patient or clinical factors were significantly associated with post-flossing bacteremia, meaning that no one dropped dead after they flossed at that moment, which is not a surprise because the damage that the bacteria can potentially cause may take a while. So I'm not even sure why they even mentioned such a thing. And there's another study which looked to determine the influence of oral hygiene, gingival and also periodontal health on the development of bacteremia from just everyday uh, flossing and toothbrushing. Now, this study was a meta-analysis. It looked at 290 articles and then narrowed those down to the very best ones. So when, when you see a meta-analysis where they looked at a bunch of studies and they narrowed it down and then statistically looked at the meaning of the properly performed studies, you might really have something there. So the conclusion of this study was that their meta-analysis showed that plaque accumulation and gingival inflammation scores significantly increased the prevalence of bacteremia following toothbrushing. Meaning, the worse your oral disease, the greater the potential of something like toothbrushing and probably also flossing for increasing your risk of systemic disease. But even people that didn't seem to have obvious oral disease still produce bacteremia after 10 minutes of simple flossing. And, you know, the study, study goes on to say that, you know, due to the realization about the oral a microbiome, that new methods to mod- modify or modulate the microbiome are needed. And you'll read a lot of studies that they say the same thing. Okay, now that we know this, we need to do this. Now that we know this, we need to do this. And nothing gets done. So these 13 herbs we'll be talking about very, very soon is what can be done. If we have a comprehensive synergistic approach, which is natural, in my opinion, and herbal, that is a liquid and is used a few times each day, we have the potential of reducing all the adverse bugs in that oral cavity. And then when used in the morning before brushing or flossing, then we remove all those bugs or practically all of them so that when we brush and then when we floss, we don't push them through the mucosal barriers, those leaky mucosal barriers into the body. And if we should swallow some of those bugs, after we've used an herbal rinse, we probably will reduce the risk of those bugs, once they reach the stomach, of becoming systemic 
particularly in those people that do not have enough stomach acid to normally kill off these bugs. Now, if you're listening to this and you are over, you are 60 years of age and older, you have around a 50% chance of being hypochlorhydric, meaning not having enough stomach acid. And that is a problem because the stomach, well, for many years, even I promoted the concept that the stomach was the, the truly the first line of immune defense. But I don't think so anymore. I think it's the mouth. I'm admitting, I'm admitting I was wrong. <laughs> and that's the thing. We must admit when we are wrong. And, you know, respectfully, uh, in terms of the healthcare industry, the so-called healthcare industry, which we have, which in fact is, is more of a disease care industry. There's not much health taught. We have a lot of resistance to the new, these new ideas of a simple thing like an herbal rinse or improving your immunity and general health with a carefully balanced diet and nutritional supplements and juicing and proper rest. We have uh, a disease care medical situation that does not want to change. It waits for disease to happen. And a lot of these new ideas are ignored because of just ignorance, because ignorance is bliss after all. But I think also because it's very hard for someone in a particular field to change how they think when their livelihood depends on it. So there's lots of complex factors that are involved in why these changes don't happen. But that may be the topic of another show. You know, for many years, uh, invasive dental treatments were known to be a risk factor for myocardial infarction or a heart attack. And it has been determined that that is from bacteria. So a lot of people who are focusing on their diets and exercise, if those factors do not improve oral health, then their risk of heart attack is still pretty pretty prevalent, pretty high. In fact, someone who's particularly fit, let's say uh, a runner, running reduces immunity. So does just hard exercise. So there needs to be a balance, and that's different for different people. But it is a known, observed fact that heavy exercise has its benefits, but also does... Uh, reduce immunity, which would increase one's risk of infection, and particularly of the upper respiratory tract. Now, it's been assumed that that association is because there are you know bugs out there somewhere in the world, and they they happen to hit on this individual who's exercising hard, and who has a lower immunity, and they get uh, an upper respiratory tract infection. But why couldn't that reduced immunity in that person cause an overgrowth of bad bugs in their mouth, which then uh, cause more upper respiratory tract infections, or for that matter, heart attacks. Of course it could. And then we have the problem of using various oral rinses, commercial oral rinses like Scope, which, uh, in my opinion, have the potential of increasing antibiotic and anti-infection resistance in the mouth, just like antibacterial soap on the hands. Both of these methods kill off bacteria and other infectious agents, but some will survive and those become the resistant ones. So we are creating, we're turning ourselves into these petri dishes. 
But herbs don't tend to have those effects. Herbs tend to actually kill these bugs. And when taken internally as well as orally, with proper diet, etc., then one improves their immune system, not allowing organisms that are particularly aggressive to cause problems. So I would suggest that in addition to the oral rinse, which we're going to talk about right now, that one needs to determine what their nutritional needs are for their bodies. You know, I just saw a vegetarian yesterday who had quite a number of nutritional deficiencies. And she was astounded because she said to me, Dr. Wald, I thought that this was the best way to eat. And I said, there's no best way to eat. All I know is that the way you're eating is not best for you. We can have you continue to be a vegetarian, but now that we've identified these particular problems, we can make adjustments in your diet and also have some extra insurance by targeting the particular nutritional issues that you have and we have identified right now. So once that's done, your body, your mouth is in much better shape to deal with stressors. So I put together... an herbal mouthwash, a natural uh, mouthwash. And it contains a variety of herbs. I'm just going to mention a few of them to you now. The erythrococcus, centicosis, and kelp and astragalus, black cohosh, chase tree berries, saw palmetto berries, it has to be the berries, parsley root, alfalfa, and it has to be the leaf portion of alfalfa, and prickly ash bark. Now these particular combinations, based on my research, help to manage both internal or overall health and oral health in a number of key ways. Number one, we need to reduce that leakiness in the mouth. And by the way, as we get older and we start to break down, we become leaky everywhere. We literally become leaky. All the tissues, when you look at them under a microscope, you will see that they lose their integrity. They start to come apart. And that is associated with reduced overall health, to put it simply. These particular herbs work on a number of factors in the body, all of which are needed for general health and well-being and disease care. And in particular for oral health. And I'm going to speak in general terms about these in most cases. So for example, these herbs are in a synergistic combination that have a super additive effect when combined, which promote immune balance. Meaning, if your immune system is too hyperactive, autoimmune, you're going to have oral issues and other issues obviously in your body. So these particular herbs act as adaptogens. They bring that heightened immune response, which is too much of a good thing, too much inflammation, down. If you have a high PO, that means low immune system, then these herbs will have a tendency to support your body in such a way that your immune system should come up. Now, how convenient is that? Well, you need to keep in mind that these very same herbs, if used in a different dose, I could use them and studies will show that certain herbs at a certain dose push immune system up and certain herbs at a certain dose tend to push the immune system down and importantly for us, 
at yet another dose tend to modify. If it's too high, bring it down. If it's too low, bring it up. That is adaptogenic effects of herbs. Adaptogenic effects of herbs are not guaranteed. They need to be worked out. Now, I generally advise my patients to take my natural mouthwash, the herbal mouthwash, internally as well at two droppers a day and also to use one to two droppers in the mouth each time you rinse. And I suggest rinsing three times a day, in the morning, sometime midday, and then sometime, obviously, when you uh, brush and or floss or do your oil pulling at night. Oil pulling, by the way, no matter what technique you use, is a very, very useful thing. Well, I shouldn't say no matter what technique, but the concept is valid. Oil pulling can pull infectious organisms out of the mouth. Are they going to get all of them? No. Are they going to, is the oil pulling going to have tissue reparative effects in the mouth? Some. But my point is, if we do some oil pulling and we do flossing and brushing after we do an herbal rinse, we're just increasing the probability of doing the right thing for the oral cavity. So immune modulation through adaptogenic mechanisms is how I believe my oral rinse works. It's also found on blooddetective.com. If you don't see it for any reason on blooddetective.com, just email me at info at blooddetective.com. So the um, other effect of a rinse or any, um, any attempt to improve oral health so that we reduce systemic disease is that we need to have tissue repair in the mouth. So the herbs that I mentioned, I'll just review a few of them again, Erythrococcus centicosis, the black cohosh, saw palmetto, parsley root, alfalfa leaf, for example, prickly ash bark, they help to reduce the leakiness of the tissues in the mouth. They help to strengthen the gums around teeth, reducing leaky teeth. They have anti fungal or anti-candida effects. They have antibacterial effects, anti-protozoal effects, and antiviral effects. Also, the combination of these herbs, I believe, again, based on my independent study of each of these herbs, probably also improve the immunoglobin balance and the pH of the mouth. So let's talk about these two for a moment. Many of you have already heard about the importance of pH. And for those of you that haven't, pH is a term that refers to the acid-base balance in the body. But as you can realize, as you know, we have a certain pH in the mouth, we have a different pH in the stomach, we have a different pH in the small intestine, a different pH in the large intestine, a different pH in the urine, and a different pH in the arterial blood and the venous blood. So whenever I hear such silliness as someone saying to me, and I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this a little funny for you guys, Dr. Walt, shouldn't we be alkaline? And I say, no, we should be alkaline in the mouth, but we need to be acid in the stomach. And then they say, oh, thanks. So I'm trying to make you remember this. pH is different depending on what compartment of the body. When it comes to the mouth, it's more of an alkaline environment so that the 
amylase enzyme, which breaks down starch in the mouth, can, can work. If the mouth is too acidic, the enzyme does not work well. And this creates problems throughout the entire digestive tract. And since the digestive tract feeds the rest of the body, it's a systemic problem. So herbs, not just orally, but especially with, along with herbs, and not just herbs, but vitamins, minerals, and then the macronutrition, proper balance of protein, carbs, and fats, are what is needed to balance the immune system and the, and the body's health so that it ends up in a scenario where the oral pH is, is what it needs to be. If the oral pH is off, then we have overgrowth of all kinds of bugs and oral decay. Now, if you have low stomach acid, that stomach is connected to the esophagus, right? Which is connected to the mouth. And then that stomach is, when you go down, is connected to the small intestine and the large intestine. You cannot affect any one area of your gut without affecting on some level the other areas of the gut. Gastroenterologists really don't think this way. Unless you have a problem that they can see under endoscopy or colonoscopy, if they don't see the problem there, you're lucky if they diagnose you with what's called a functional gastrointestinal disorder, where they're saying, well, I acknowledge the function's off, but I don't see disease. But mostly, you'll be told, as many of my patients have, you need an antidepressant, is what they'll say. Or they'll say that they can't help you and they don't find anything and maybe you have anxiety. Many of you are are making a face right now probably because too many of you out there have come to me with this exact scenario. So if we don't see a thing, sometimes we don't understand it. But these microorganisms are not visible until they're visible, let's say, in a Petri dish. But let's say that you, you shouldn't see them in your mouth, but they certainly are affecting you and are affected by your health. It's important that you realize that a lot of these organisms in the mouth and in the body you can live with them your whole life and they may not ever create a problem with you. But if those very same organisms are in your mouth and in your body and your immunity takes a dive or your blood sugar starts to come up or something else happens to you that changes the biochemical milieu of your body, those bugs growing in that new environment may get very aggressive. They will transform. It's called pleomorphism in microbiology, which basically means you have a bug that you're living with no problem. You change the environment the bug lives in and it turns into the Hulk. So this is actually what happens. And what's so fascinating is way back in the 1800s, when Louis Pasteur, which they consider the father of uh, bacteriology, And uh, at that time, he came up with a new concept. He said, guess what, folks? I think that bacteria and other types of organisms are the cause of infectious disease. Everyone jumped all over it. I mean, after all, it sounds brilliant, and it is. But at the very same time, Louis Pasteur's, one of his contemporaries named Bechamp, Bechamp said, well, There is something to that, but it is the environment that determines everything. The environment is the most important. So if you have an organism in that environment, and that environment is, let's just call it healthy, then that organism will not do anything. 
But if you change that environment, you create aggressive changes in organisms. And these two went back and forth in the world of bacteriology and huge conferences were held all over the world about this and they're two you know, seemingly opposite uh, theories of, of bacteriology. And what's very interesting is that Pasteur was so obsessed, he became so obsessed with this idea that the germ causes disease as opposed to Betchum saying the environment is everything. So Pasteur would overcook his foods and he died in his 40s of malnutrition. So I, I mentioned that story because we can have two valid theories existing at the same time and we may have more of them later. But I do certainly believe at this time and in this age that it makes sense that we need to improve the environment so that the bugs don't change and create disease that ruin and steal the quality and length of our lives. And also that we want to avoid being exposed to a bug that is considered a pathogen. And I believe it was Pasteur, but once again, do not quote me on this, that at a large scientific convention, when at the time his theories were just not accepted, drank a known pathogen at a science convention in front of everyone, hundreds of scientists, and he did not die. It was demonstrated that, what we know now, probably what happened was his stomach acid destroyed the bug. If that bug were somehow injected into his bloodstream, well, history would have been different. And uh, in, a, in the journal of uh, – one of the journals of endocrinology, there was an article about the uh, microbiome and metabolic disease. And they described the microbiome as this complex ecosystem of microorganisms consisting of bacteria and viruses and protozoa and fungi living in different you know, districts of the human body, such as the uh, gastro gastrointestinal tract, and then there's different bacteria on the skin and some different uh, bacteria in the mouth and different in the you know, respiratory system and yet different bacteria in the vagina. And over 70% of the microbiota, meaning these bugs, live in the gastrointestinal tract in a mutually beneficial relationship with the host, which is you. The microbia play a major role in many metabolic functions, including modifying blood sugar, modifying blood cholesterol, regulating appetite, and producing, manufacturing vitamins. Yes, the bacteria produce vitamins. For example, bacteria in the gut produce vitamin K and other B vitamins. But all these bacteria actually have, they have other roles. We know that infections in the mouth, you know, peritonitis, we know that raises blood cholesterol. So you can have a vegan diet all you want, but if your cholesterol is chronically elevated, in fact, if you have a health problem that's just not resolving, think about the fact that you might be seeding your body with organisms from your mouth over and over and over again every second of every day. And in addition, this article in this endocrine journal talks about how the microbiome has important anti-carcinogenic and anti-inflammatory actions. So what we're talking about now is a proper balance of, of bacteria and other organisms are needed for health in the body. But when 
things get off kilter just so much, then everything goes south. And finally, and finally, this article says that there's growing evidence that any modification in the microbiome, microbiome composition can lead to several diseases, including metabolic diseases, like hormonal diseases, like diabetic, like diabetes, uh, obesity, cardiovascular disease. And that's because these microbiota, as they're known, can cause insulin resistance because they're, they can cause inflammation, vascular inflammation, and again, promoting other metabolic disorders. Amazing. But still, the dental profession is not trained well in systemic disease. And the traditional medical profession is not trained well to pay enough connected attention to oral disease. And in the natural health communities, I do not believe there is adequate training for uh, certain individuals that uh, are healthcare providers, natural healthcare providers also. So there are problems all around. That's why we do shows like this so you guys can become your own blood detectives, as I love to say, and make smart health decisions. Now, let me say a few more words about infective endocarditis or inflammation of the heart, which is a heart disease. And think of this as any other disease that can be caused in the body from bacteria in the, in the mouth. So infective endocarditis is a devastating disease, very high morbidity mortality. It's killing quality of life and shortening lifespan dramatically. The link to oral bacteria has been known for many, many decades and has caused a lot of concern for dentists, uh, the people affected, of course, and cardiologists. And the microbiota of the mouth is extremely diverse, and more than 700 bacterial species have been found in the mouth. Half of them are uncultivable, meaning you can't even grow them in a dish and the thing about these oral bacteria, they're not uniform, and they, meaning that in the mouth, you can have specific kinds of bacteria hanging out on the tongue. You can have other bacteria hanging out on the palate, others in the cheek area, in the teeth area, in the periodontal pockets. And it's very important we get them all with a rinse. And we improve the health of our body so that our blood is super healthy, it's oxygenated, the pH of the blood is not too low, the nutritional content of the blood is just right, so that as that blood circulates to the oral cavity, it produces an environment that is not friendly to these bugs, no matter where they're hiding. So any serious attempt to improve oral health on a simple level, like you got dental problems, but really serious a real serious effort to improve your, your morbidity mortality, improve your overall quality of life, and improve your oral health along with your systemic health means you must treat both your mouth and everything else. In other words, the whole body. So I do this as a blood detective by looking at laboratory work. There are specific types of lab tests, by the way, and then some general ones, which have been associated with a lot of oral disease and prove the connection between oral disease and disease in the body. For example, we know that persons with oral problems tend to have elevated C-reactive protein tests. That's called CRP. 
And we know that CRP can lead to any number, dozens of diseases, particularly heart disease. We know that if one's hemoglobin A1C, which is a, they call it a diabetic test, but there's more people out there, I believe, that have pre-diabetes, that even have diabetes, and that's when the damage happens, will have elevated hemoglobin A1Cs, and this predisposes them to overgrowth of fungal agents in the mouth, which you might not see. Again, I have patients coming to me and they say, Dr. Ward, look what's in my mouth. And they open their mouth and I see, you know, bacteria, meaning bacterial infections. I see uh, candida, oral candidiasis. And before all of that is visible, it is not visible. So we want to use proper laboratory tests. We want to use a blood pH. We want to make sure vitamin C levels are ideal. Vitamin C use is correct. We do not want to have malabsorption diseases. Anything that affects the gut on those levels will affect the entire tube, which is the mouth and the digestive tract. Here's another interesting connection between periodontal disease and adverse pregnancy outcomes. So studies have shown a relationship between maternal periodontal disease and premature delivery. It's been shown that vitamin D deficiency or vitamin D insufficiency can lead to worse pregnancy outcomes and those problems with vitamin D can cause progressive damage to the anatomy of the mouth, the periodontal ligaments, the alveolar bones, leading to loss of teeth, and other oral uh, disability. It's just amazing. The same things with CoQ10 and folic acid. We know that insufficiencies of those nutrients are associated with periodontal disease and increased uh, cardiovascular events and also birth defects. Now, I say insufficiencies because a person does not have to have a low level of a nutrient in the blood. They just have to have an insufficient level which really I would define as a level that is not optimal for that person. So let's, re- let's review just for a second uh, what we call oral signs, things you can look at in the mouth uh, of systemic disease. So if, you know, if a dentist, for example, or I take a look in the oral cavity, I might see some underlying systemic disease clues of overall health that are just revealed right there. And I want to direct you to my past shows on diseases that you see in the mirror. You can find all of those shows under the blog section of my website at intmedny.com. And once again, my name is Dr. Michael Waltz. You can reach me with your comments and questions at 914-552-1442 or email me at info at blooddetective.com. But when I look in the mouth, you might see things like, first of all, you can tell You can see signs of autoimmune disease and and blood disorders, hemologic diseases, hormonal diseases, even cancerous processes. So autoimmune diseases might manifest as oral ulcerations, changes in the salivary glands and the parotid glands, and just overall changes in the tongue. Patients with blood diseases might have gingival bleeding or tongue changes such as uh, inflammation of the tongue called glossitis. And oral changes associated with hormonal problems, I mean, they vary. They're all over the place. Uh, cancerous changes can include metastatic lesions to the bony and the soft tissues of the oral cavity. And patients with chronic diseases like um, reflux disease and eating disorders have dental erosions and all sorts of um, 
of decay in the mouth. So this has been a, a short course in the relationship of the oral cavity and systemic disease. And to recap, the best diet for the body to reduce the contribution that oral disease, which is really a misnomer to call it oral disease since it's almost never just from the oral cavity, requires certainly a, a diet high in fruits and vegetables. Yes, fruits. Uh, even diabetics tolerate fruit fine. Not all fruit raises blood sugar. That's a whole other conversation. Please see my show, Sugar, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, at my website at intmedny.com. So in general, though, we want lots of fruits, lots of veggies. I will put my patients on my detox products, detox one, two, three, and four, which contain the equivalence of many, many dozens of fruits and vegetables in a drink. But we do also want a balanced diet for that individual that needs to be determined. We're of different ages. We have different health conditions now. We have different goals. We have different exercise levels, different levels of stress, different lifestyle choices. All of these factors must be considered when figuring out the right dietary plan. But if someone has specific oral issues and I identify or other practitioners identify other systemic issues, my philosophy is you need what you need for your needs. We need to fix whatever it is we found, and that's what you need. There's no magic formula, including my oral rinse, to cure all systemic disease. But it is a step in the right direction. So my natural mouthwash, for those of you who want to get that, you can either email me at info at blooddetective.com. You can call me at 914-552-1442, or better yet, just go to my website at, at blooddetective.com, click on the supplement section, and look for the natural rinse, the herbal rinse. And those 13 herbs used three times a day at one to two droppers each time before you brush and floss or during midday just to rinse your mouth with it if you don't floss or brush midday should go a long way towards helping to mitigate a lot of these potential pathogens in the mouth. So you've been listening to Ask the Blood Detective. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. Each week we have a different topic that you want, which I hope can make a difference in your life. I've appreciated the the really intelligent uh, input that I've received. I'm constantly receiving your emails. I love it. Keep them coming. I will see you next week. And for those of you who would like to schedule with me personally, I'm happy to work with you. Call me at 914-552-1442 for either an in-person conversation or a distance conversation. Thank you so much. Take care. Come out, Virginia. Don't let it wait. You Catholic girls start much too.